Well, good morning. Welcome to Mayflower Church. It might be gloomy outside, but it is not gloomy in here. It's wonderful to see all of you this morning. We're so happy you're here. If you're here in the sanctuary or you're uh, with us via live stream, welcome, welcome. If you are here and you're on the aisle, you know what to do, right? Grab that friendship register and please sign it and pass it along. And for those of you joining live stream, there's a tab for an e-friendship register. We love to know that you're with us as well. So for those of you here, if you notice in the pew rack, there are prayer cards. So if you have a praise or a prayer request that you would like us to pray for this morning or one that you would like to put on our weekly prayer email list, please fill out that card. And during our middle hymn, the ushers will come through and collect those from you. Also, if you just want personal prayer this morning, I'm available after the postlude. I'll be up front, and I would be happy to pray with you. Also in our sanctuary, make sure you look up and admire our clean chandeliers. Aren't they sparkly? Special thanks to Greg Scott, Sherry Graham, and Rachel Cooley for making that happen. So if you missed last week's History of Mayflower Children's Message, it was mentioned that there are books like this available in the narthex that give the history of the first 25 years of Mayflower. It's actually a fascinating read, so if you would like a copy, you can pick one up as you exit the sanctuary. As always, we hope you're finding all kinds of interesting information in the bulletin that was passed out to you when you walked in. Um, there's all kinds of information about programming, but Rachel Cooley has a special announcement for those of you who are ready to roll up your sleeves and get involved. So welcome, Rachel. Thank you. I have three fun volunteer opportunities for everyone. The first is this morning I was so thankful to wake up and not have three inches of snow on the ground because I am asking for us to create two volunteer shoveling teams for this winter to help us remove the snow that falls between when the plow service comes, sometimes in the middle of the night, and when church starts. So if you are interested in being on call either the first or the third Sunday or the second and the fourth Sunday, please see me after church. Or if you are online, there are sign-up links in our website. The second volunteer opportunity I have is this Thursday at 10 a.m. to come and join myself and Priscilla Circle as we put together Silk Poinsettia Plants. For years, the poinsettias that have adorned our windowsills have been quite a, um, quite a lot of work to keep alive and to be looking fresh because you may not realize, but there's heating vents that come up along those windowsills. And so to keep them watered and keep them fresh. So we have decided this year we are going to adorn all of our windows with silk poinsettia arrangements. And then you will see starting next week the opportunity to order live poinsettia plants that for the two Sundays before Christmas Eve will adorn our front stairs. So if you would come, like to come and help put those silk arrangements together, we would love to see you this week. 
And our final ask for volunteers is this year we're doing our live nativity again on Christmas Eve from 5 to 6. Last year we had over 400 people come through the live nativity. And probably half of those people were not Mayflower members. So we are in need of people to help hand out candles, to help with the parking, and any other items that happen during that time. So again, see me after service or online. There are sign-up links for that. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Those are great opportunities, so I'm sure all of you are going to sign up for those. We've been blessed to be a blessing, and Linda Chafee is now going to speak about our Mayflower Stewardship Campaign. It's not how much we give but how much love we put into giving. Mother Teresa of Calcutta said these words, This woman devoted her life to ministering to the poor in India, and I admire her for her unselfish service and love of others. Her every act each day was an act of love. My task this morning is to tell you how Mayflower has been a blessing to me. Mayflower Congregational Church has been so much to our family for 30 years that it's hard to pinpoint the many blessings. Don't worry, I'll give you the executive summary. My husband Don and I started attending Mayflower in in the early 1980s, shortly after we moved here from San Francisco. One thing that we had in common when we met in California was that we were both native Michiganders living in California. It was great times living there, but moving here was for the improved education of our children, and improve it we did. The people here at Mayflower worked with us as a community of the faithful. All three of our children gained a religious education here and sang in the children's choirs. Mayflower members suggested that we explore the Grand Rapids Choir of Men and Boys for our boys, both Donald and Doug, sang proudly with the choir. I have had the privilege of singing in the chancel choir for almost 30 years. Our daughter, Meryl, sang with the chancel choir when she lived in Grand Rapids. Moreover, I believe that I have gained more faith, hope, and charity than I deserve through the music here. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you have had similar experiences of deepening your faith through music and knowledge of the Bible and Christ's teachings. In this way, you can put much love into your consideration of giving to Mayflower. Because it's not how much we give, but how much love we put into giving. Please put love into your giving here. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Nice to see you going up to the choir loft. (laughs) Today I want to highlight uh, the offertory anthem. The text was written in 1982 by a British hymn writer, uh, Michael Perry, 
And he wrote this, Oh God Beyond All Praising. He wrote this text specifically to go with the music of Gustav Holst, a tune that is taken from uh, the movement Jupiter uh, from Holst's symphonic work, The Planets. And this, this text inspires praise and glory of God through all circumstances, no matter how hard or how wonderful. So uh, the third verse ends with these wonderful words. And whether our tomorrows be filled with good or ill, we'll triumph through our sorrows and rise to bless you still, to marvel in your beauty and glory in your ways, to make a joyful duty our sacrifice of praise. Those words are printed in the bulletin, and I invite you to have your bulletin ready when the offertory begins because you will be invited to join the choir in that third verse. And now our call to worship from Psalm 81. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound a tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our festal day. Let one grand song of praise resound. One hallelujah.
Let us pray. Dear and holy God, we thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to gather in this beautiful, sparkly space to worship you. May our hearts of gratitude be a blessing to you, and may they spill over in our interactions with others. Help us to not take for granted all you have done and continue to do for us. Amen. I'd like to invite all the other children worshiping with us to join the children's choir up on the front steps. While you're coming up, I'm going to pass out some tree leaves that I have found in my neighborhood. And when you get your color of leaf, I want you 
to get next to the person that you think this leaf came from. So if you have a matching leaf with the person next to you or the person around in the row, let's get our trees together. So there should be red leaves, orange leaves, and yellow leaves. So if you have a red leaf, why don't you come here? Who has a color leaf this color? All right, come sit right over here. That's okay, I don't have enough for everyone. If you have a yellow leaf, come over here. And if you have an orange leaf, can you come sit by Hank? Who has an orange leaf? Oh, there's an orange leaf. Okay. Do you have a yellow? Yellow, okay, yellow sit right here. Okay, orange go right here. Okay. Now, your leaf colors are together. So if you can hold up your leaf colors and show everyone. All right. Now, if you can turn your leaves around and let's show the choir. So there's red leaves and there's orange leaves and there's yellow leaves. So I have a question for you. How many trees do you think these leaves came from? Hold up either one finger, two fingers, or three fingers. Do you think these leaves came from three trees, two trees, or one tree? Who? Everyone has a guess. Okay, I see lots of threes. I see a one. I see a three. You have a three, two. Okay. Can I tell you something amazing? All of these leaves came from one tree. And you guessed it right. There is a tree on my block that is right next to Miss Patty's house, who's in choir, that on one side of the tree, the leaves are yellow. And then as you walk by the tree, the leaves become orange and the leaves become red. And every day I would walk my dog under this tree and think, this is the most amazing tree I have ever seen. And it makes me think of us because sometimes we think we can only like one thing. Like we can only like football, but we can't like choir or music. Or we can only like math as our favorite subject, but we also can't like reading as our favorite subject. So maybe we can only like who likes regular Skittles? Does anyone like regular Skittles? Who likes sour Skittles? Guess what? You can like both of them. I know. So these leaves remind me that God puts all sorts of likes in our hearts. That we can like all the things that come along in our lives. So if you have a leaf, you can keep those and remember that part about God. All right, pray with me, please. God, thank you for filling our hearts with all the different things that we can like. May we always look for opportunities for new things. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are in the choir, I'm going to have you stand up, and you are going to go with Miss Abby and take off your choir robes. Everyone else can stand up, and we're going to go downstairs with Mrs. Orban and Mrs. Coster for Bible Alive and Bible Beginnings.
This morning's reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 13 through 23. It can be found on page 785 in your pew Bible. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up the believers immediately sent Paul to the coast. But Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. 
So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. As we have engaged this day in uh, beautiful worship, may God engage our hearts as we look into his word this morning. In the text that was just read, Paul enters the city of Athens. It is during what is known as Paul's second missionary journey. He will take three and then there will be one additional journey that he will take from Caesarea in uh, Antioch or Syria to Rome as a prisoner, his fourth journey, as it were. But this, uh, this journey is taking place somewhere between the year 50 and 52 A.D., most scholars believe. It's been approximately 20 years since the death and resurrection of Jesus has ignited faith that is growing across Asia and now has entered into Europe. It had been four centuries since Aristotle and Socrates had made Athens the intellectual philosophical center of the world. And as it said in verse 21, now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. That's kind of a life, nice lifestyle, isn't it? I mean, just sitting around, philosophizing, talking about these new ideas. But that was the main industry of Athens in the first century and had been for four centuries now. But the gospel comes to this city, still a magnificent city today the ancient ruins of the Acropolis and the Agora, pictured there in our bulletin. I don't know if that's a picture of the Apostle Paul, someone preaching to this crowd on the Areopagus. I think actually Paul had much less hair than this guy who's addressing the crowd. He was more like me, I think, than uh, the picture there. Um, it is a city 
that is filled with idols and temples. It is said it was easier to find a god in Athens than a human being. (laughs) The glistening temples raised to Diana and Apollo and Zeus and Poseidon. The Acropolis with its Parthenon was one of the wonders of the ancient world. And I would just like to um, walk through this text, making some notes as we go. You may want to uh, open the scriptures in front of you that have just been read, page 785. And we will look at Paul bringing the gospel to the city of Athens. And I like alliteration, so I'm going to alliterate as we make some points. And first to say that he enters their turf in verse 16 and following. So while, while Paul was waiting for them, and the them being Silas and Timothy and Luke or in a city to the north in Berea, he comes to Athens. The, Paul does not isolate himself. He makes himself vulnerable and um, walks among the people of that great city. And he is, the text says, greatly distressed. And the Greek word used for that is what we get our word, epileptic seizure. He is convulsing, as it were, as he sees all of these idols and temples around him. In verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, the daily marketplace of the Agora. And he does this day by day with any who happened to be there. And then it says, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers begin to dispute with him or debate with him, the give and take. Now, you who have studied philosophy, um, if you have studied it in depth more than I have, I'm sure, um, the Epicureans of that day were people who believed in kind of an undisturbed, tranquil life, a life that is untroubled by undue involvement in human affairs, rather detached from the world, as it were. And they saw God as removed and detached from human life. Paul saw it very differently. A God actively involved in the world, not only creator, but ruler and redeemer and savior. And then there were the Stoics. The Stoics saw God as as all-pervasive, kind of a quasi-pantheistic view of life. And they were a people of great moral earnestness and a high sense of duty. But they said reason must rule over emotion and passion. Reason must control life. And so these group of philosophers, some of them looked at Paul and they asked the question, what is this babbler trying to say? Have you ever been called a babbler? It's an interesting word. In the Greek it means literally seed picker. It was a slang expression for a scavenger bird that was known as a gutter snipe that wanders through the gutter, picks up a scrap here and a scrap there, and nourishes himself out of the gutter, as it were. 
So they are saying these ideas come from the gutters of inferior human thought. He's a babbler. Others remarked, well, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news, the gospel, about Jesus and the resurrection. You know, all through the book of Acts, one thing is clear. The message of those early believers centers on the resurrection. That death has been defeated, that life has been embraced by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So it says in verse 19, Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting to us. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And we want to know what it all means. So we got time because that's what we do. We sit around and we banter about new ideas. And as it says in verse 21, they spent their time doing nothing but telling and hearing of something new. So Paul enters their turf. But then secondly, he engages their ideas. In verse 22, he stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are very religious. I've heard that people that visit Grand Rapids say, My, this must be a very religious place. There's a church on every street corner. A bit of an exaggeration, but you can see why they might say that. Paul goes on in verse 23, he says, For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. So as he engages their ideas, he meets them where they are and says, I'm going to talk about one of your gods, the God that you describe as unknown. So he connects with them. He finds common ground. He contextualizes the gospel. He doesn't change it. He never does that. But he brings the gospel into their world, into their culture. The gospel of the resurrected Christ is transculture. It penetrates every culture and every willing heart. So he enters their turf, he engages their ideas, and then he expands their worldview. He speaks of God creator, greater than anything made by men that cannot be contained This God is the giver of life, the shaper of history. In verse 25, he says, This God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all people life and breath and everything else. All that we are, all that we have comes from this God that you describe as the unknown God. So if we were to summarize his beginning approach here at Athens, he says, you know, your shrines and your temples, they tell me something about you. They tell me that you perceive 
that there is something bigger than yourself. That you kind of wink as you participate in the activities of these gods because you know that these idols can't possibly encompass the greatness of God who is creator of all. You know the God who made all things, and you know that He cannot be restricted to your temples. And Paul points out the magnificence, the greatness of Creator God, who can't be reduced to the mind of finite human thought or controlled by finite human strength. So he then will expose their God hunger. In verses 27 through 29, he said, God made us to seek Him. And we're never really satisfied until we discover Him. Paul, to these Athenian intellectuals, says, You know there is a God. And you know these idols and statues and your temples will not fill your God hunger. It was Blaise Pascal, back in the 17th century, a great philosopher, inventor, thinker, who said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the Creator. And that's what Paul points out to the Athenians. And he drives home, drives it home deeper by quoting their own philosophers and poets who say, you know, we are his offspring. In him we live and move and have our being. Why, you know that quote. You know it well and you try to, to live by that. I think Paul is saying here, the thoughtful among you You kind of roll your eyes at this idolatry that you engage in. As you go through the motions of religion, deep down in your heart, it doesn't really make sense to you. And so you'll have this shrine to this unknown God. And you know that none of these idols will ultimately satisfy your quest for God. He points to the emptiness of their heart. There's something bigger than the temples of Athens. Greater than the temples of our mind. Bigger than the idols of our life. Our career. Our ego. Our status. Our reputation. Our families. There's something bigger beyond all that that you long for. Paul says the God you long for has come near to you. And you can not only know about Him, you can not only turn aside and philosophize and theorize and debate this God. You can not only build temples and shrines to this God. You can experience Him. You can know Him. Your hunger for Him can be satisfied in Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord. There is something much better than the idols that dot the hillside of Athens or occupy prominent places in our heart. 
That one is the living God. And Paul pleads with them to know him. So he will enter their turf. He will engage their ideas. He will expand their worldview. He will expose their God hunger. And finally, he will entreat them. He will urge them to repent. Verse 30. This God who made us and everything, this God you can personally know, now commands all people everywhere to repent. A call to action. Change your mind. Change your life. Turn toward this living God. There's that word again. Repent. The call to change. Open your heart to a new thing that God would do. Something that we're called to do every day of our life. What new thing is God wanting to do in your heart, in your life, in my heart today, this day? Turn toward Him. Be open to change. Discard the idols that prop up your life. And experience the living God who loves you and gave Himself for you. The One who conquered death in Jesus Christ. The One who can satisfy the God hunger in the heart of the Athenian in the heart of 21st century Americans, in your heart and my heart this day. Amen. We are blessed to be a blessing. Thank you for giving generously, whether it's here in person, online, or via text. The ushers will come forward momentarily to receive this morning's offering.
Gracious Lord, creator and giver of all that is good, we thank you for our many blessings, and we acknowledge that all we have is from you. We offer thanks and praise for the beauty of the earth, for our church, our work, our family, our loved ones, and all the gifts we have been given. May our tithes and offerings be used to bring you glory and honor. Amen. You may be seated. It's now time for us to share our praises and petitions in our congregational prayer. And I want to thank you again for filling out prayer cards and getting used to this new habit of doing so. It's amazing what many of you are bringing through the doors when you come in here each Sunday, the things that are close to your heart. Um, I know many of them are not shared, but I hope as we continue this prayer practice, you feel more comfortable sharing them. So let us as a congregation join our hearts together and offer our praises and petitions to the Lord. Holy God, we begin again with praise for all you have done and continue to do on our behalf. We thank you for Mayflower, and we pray for its future. We know that you are the one that holds the future, so we trust that you are holding our leadership search, our stewardship campaign, and all of the plans we are making. Lead and guide us as we seek your heart in all things. May we be faithful, and may we always be aware of the needs around us, both within our congregation and outside of it. Help us as we make decisions regarding worship, programming, and outreach. May we truly be a blessing to those we encounter. May they see and experience the love of Christ through us. Please grow us in our discipleship to be more and more like you. And Lord, we know there are many in our congregation and beyond who are suffering. We lift up to you those who grieve, those who struggle with illness, those who need help in their relationships. We pray for comfort. We pray for healing. And we pray for restoration. And Lord, as you know, this week was a funeral for a 21-year-old young man, a nephew of Mayflower members who died by suicide. We know this is a story that's being told over and over and over again. So we pray for that deep comfort and peace for that family. And we pray for things to change. We pray to be agents of change, whether it's through our schools, our neighborhoods, our extended communities. Lord, this cannot continue. Use us. Use us to be peacekeepers, peace bringers, agents of love. Help us. Empower us. And Lord, we pray for Ginny Gearhart, whose nine-year-old son begins treatment tomorrow for a cancerous brain tumor. Oh, Lord, he's only nine. We pray for your hand of healing. When we pray for this grandmother's heart, that you comfort her in ways that are just absolutely supernatural. And we lift up Anne-Marie, whose daughter-in-law, Melissa, is struggling in a hospital in Vermont with a very serious infection. Vermont's far away, and I'm sure Anne-Marie's heart is there this morning. She's here with us, but I'm sure her heart is there. So we pray for Melissa. We pray for healing. We pray for comfort. And, Lord, we all pray for peace. 
the world is confusing or things that we all struggle with. But we know that you are the author and the giver of peace. And so we follow you and we pray for that peace today. We pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives, collectively in this space and in each of our hearts. And as your Spirit prays in us and through us, Lord, we continue to invite your Holy Spirit to fall afresh on us. Lord, we acknowledge that sometimes we don't even know how to pray. We're grateful that your spirit intercedes for us. But we're also very grateful that you taught the disciples a prayer that we can always come back to. And we pray it this morning with one voice. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Go now in peace. Set aside all that is false. And may the living God go with you and enable you to serve our Creator and Redeemer without fear. Engage the world with the love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Encourage one another. And may God fill your heart with the blessing of divine presence and grace now and forevermore. Amen and amen.